Welcome to the Executive Coach for Moms podcast, where we support women who are attempting to find balance and joy while simultaneously leading people at work and at home. I'm your host, Leanna Lasky-McGrath, former tech exec turned full-time mom, recovering perfectionist and workaholic, and certified executive coach. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have a special guest. I'm so excited to talk with Emily Roseberry today about imposter syndrome. Uh, Whenever we were kind of reviewing topics to discuss, Emily Rose said that she has kind of figured out how to get through imposter syndrome. And I know that's something that a lot of us can relate to. And so I'm really excited to hear what she has to say about this today. So welcome, Emily Rose. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Liana. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about how I fully talked myself out of having imposter syndrome because I think everyone should talk themselves out of it. Absolutely. Well, can you introduce yourself, Emily Rose? Kind of tell everybody who you are, what you're doing in the world. Sure. Um, I'm Emily Rose Berry. Well, you already said that. Work. I'm a vice president of products for an ed tech company. I've spent a little over 10 years, I think, in education technology in various different roles. I'm also a mom. I have two kids. I've got two boys, six and eight. I'm joining you from their playroom. (laughs) So I'm surrounded by dinosaurs and Legos because that's how that goes. And I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. So To kind of start off, I would love to just define imposter syndrome. Like, how do you define it? I looked up some definitions on the Googles as well. um, And then I have my own definition of it. So I'd love to hear what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Well, my personal experience with it, I think, is very tied to my own personal experience with anxiety, which is probably a theme that'll come up often Mm -hmm. in this conversation because it kind of has the same characteristics to me of like having some kind of intrusive and pervasive thinking that is not necessarily based in reality Mm. about your own performance and skills and knowledge in your job. That's been my experience with it. What did the Googles tell you though? (laughs) So the Google said, imposter syndrome is the condition of feeling anxious and not Uh experiencing success internally, despite being high performing in external objective ways. This condition often results in people feeling like a fraud or a phony and doubting their abilities. And then another definition that I thought I related to was imposter syndrome is that uncomfortable feeling you experience when you think you're underqualified and incompetent. You might look around and assume everyone knows what they're doing except for you. And if you achieve something good, you'll chalk your accomplishments up to good luck. So those really resonated with me. And I think the way that I have experienced it is definitely that assumption that everybody else knows more than me. So I have coached a lot of people and I think this comes up in one way or or another. It's not always named as imposter syndrome, but it comes up with every single client that I have worked with, women and men. I read this book on it a few years ago called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. One of my biggest takeaways from that book was Meryl Streep believes that she's not a good actor. No, stop. Like she, everyone's going to find out that I don't actually know how to act. And so I think about that, man, if Meryl Streep (laughs) doesn't think she's a great 
actor, like what, you know, <laughs> all the rest of us, like, <laughs> of course we're going to It feel. doesn't get more objective than multiple Academy Awards <laughs> in your right. face <laughs> saying right. you're a good actress. <laughs> right. Exactly. But it was good luck or somebody else, you know, it's great direction or great mm. production, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I found on the Google that I thought was really interesting is that there are five imposter syndrome types. I didn't know about this, but all of these are very (laughs) relatable, I think. Perfectionist, superhuman, natural genius, soloist, and expert. And so I think each one of them kind of, depending on which one is most prevalent for somebody, I think it would show up a little bit different in each person. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of what I see in my clients is a lot of kind of feeling this pressure to overwork themselves to continue the facade, Uh right? Like I believe that someone's going to find out that they made a big mistake hiring me or that... I don't actually know what I'm talking about and that cannot happen. Mm -hmm. And so I have to, it's like, I have to outwork that potential thing happening. I have to just work so hard and then, you know, working all hours of the day and night, working through maternity leaves, feeling like I have to control what everybody else like thinks of me and that everybody else like continues to have a high opinion of me. And so the way I can do that best is just to like put in the hours. So I see that a lot. How does it show up or how did it show up for you? That's a really interesting example. I love hearing about other people's experiences with it because it's, I mean, it's no surprise that we all have different personalities, backgrounds, experiences, tendencies. So how we experience imposter syndrome is always going to feel a little bit different. That example is not how it was for me, but I get Mm. the tendency to confuse performance with output. Mm -hmm. It's not about what I bring to the table or the quality of the work I do, but it's about how much I can churn out and how efficient Mm -hmm. I can be. And if I can just distract people with that, Mm -hmm. then maybe they won't notice that actually I'm making bad decisions or I don't know what I'm talking about is the example that you gave. Mm -hmm. That's really painful to hear that someone's going through that. Lots of people, but I think it's that. And I think it's also a proof to a person's self, right? Like a proof to Mm -hmm. myself that I am doing everything possible, right? Right. It won't be for lack of effort. Exactly. For me, I think you were talking a little bit earlier. I don't know if it was Meryl Streep who said like, it must've been luck, but that was probably Mm -hmm. my experience with it over the years. Mm -hmm. So I started my career in education. I was a teacher. And then I moved into the the world of technology. And in the time that I've worked in tech, I mean, it's been it's been over 10 years. And I was promoted very regularly. It was like mm-hmm. not a year or two would go by that I wasn't promoted. Now, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I joined a company that was kind of like in its phase of super growth, right? I got in Mm -hmm. early when as one of the first few employees. And then as new opportunities became available, as we expanded, you know, it was natural to move people from within the company into those roles. And so there probably was a little bit of luck attached to that. Like if I had been at a more mature company that had more structured org charts and growth paths, maybe I wouldn't have been given those opportunities. But my experience with it at the time was 
well, this is the first time that I'm doing something like this. And I don't really understand why someone thinks that I can do it Mm. because I've got all of these reasons in my head that seem like I see other people doing that job and they have XYZ background Mm. and I don't have that background. And so there's no way that I can do what they did. Like it was very much an archetypal type of thinking where I would look at one person who I thought was doing that job really well. And I would convince myself that because... I did not have that exact same background as them Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't be able to do it. And so therefore, I was confused when people gave me opportunities. Mm. I was confused and worried that I was going to let them down. Mm -hmm. It was kind of that feeling of, why do you think that I should get this? Why do you think I should do that? You know, you're putting a lot of faith in me. And if I screw it up, that's going to feel so bad because I look up to you. Mm. Like I can have perspective on that now because, you know, I'm almost 40 and I'm looking at myself in like her late 20s, early 30s. And I get why I felt that way. Mm -hmm. But I have the perspective now that as someone who hires, does a lot of hiring Mm -hmm. and a lot of seeing who I can help grow their own career. Mm -hmm. The reality is that no one does that randomly, Mm. right? You're not going out there and just being like, oh, random person. I don't know if you're going to be good at this, but... (laughs) Let's throw you in. (laughs) Exactly. Like Mm -hmm. that would be bad for the success of the company. You only Mm -hmm. invest in people that you really think are going to do a good job and you have some evidence behind that, right? So Mm -hmm. I look back on it now and I'm like, Emily Rose, you were totally deserving of those opportunities and you killed it in those opportunities. Mm -hmm. How sad that you wasted time feeling worried about not living up to what people thought you could accomplish. They... They thought you could accomplish it because you had already demonstrated in ways that you could. So, yeah. So that feeling of being, you described it as worried, like Mm -hmm. being worried that Mm -hmm. you would let someone down. You would let that person down that gave you that opportunity. How did that impact your output or what actions did you take as a result of that feeling? I think that there have been many times in my career where I had lacking confidence in myself and my own abilities. I'm talking about abilities, Mm -hmm. skills, and knowledge here. I'm trying to be very careful about that Mm -hmm. because it's not about motivation or how much work you do or how committed you are. Like, let's put those things off to the side because you can be all of those things and still be really shitty at your job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's more about like, let's focus on real performance, like the measurable things that are going to have an impact on the business and that people are going to measure you by. The concerns that I had, I think sometimes let me not have confidence in my own abilities. And therefore, there were probably times where everyone suffered because... I had an idea or I had a way to solve the problem or, you know, I saw an opportunity for the business and I didn't feel comfortable necessarily Mm -hmm. kind of owning it and like rising to the occasion of it because I had this self-limiting thinking of Mm -hmm. you're not ready for that Mm -hmm. or who do you think you are? (laughs) And so it's more like I think about the things that I miss when I was fully capable and ready because I kind of talked myself down and slowed myself down, put my own walls in front of me and said, don't go further than this. And that's really, really unfortunate. And it's unfortunate not only for you, but for everyone you're working for. You're actually not bringing your whole self to your role when you are limiting yourself with that kind of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think you probably heard that in my conversation with Anamika a little bit, a little 
while back on the podcast Mm -hmm. that we both experienced that as well. Like holding ourselves back thinking I have this idea or I want to say this thing, but Uh am I going to sound stupid? Like, am I qualified to make that assessment? It's so different from whatever everybody else is thinking. So you know, and kind of questioning ourselves. And for me, at least it was like, wow, I got put in this role, which I know I earned, but you know, I I was promoted into this role and I don't want them to look at me and be like, oh God, I made such a big mistake by (laughs) putting you in this role because you have like these terrible ideas, right? Yep. I have so many thoughts running through my Mm, head. Tell me. One is... I did love that podcast episode with Anamik and that kind of story of feeling like you were put into something maybe prematurely or, you know, before you felt like you were ready. The crazy thing is that this image that I have of you sitting at the boardroom and saying, I've got this idea, but it's counter to what everyone else thinks, or I don't know if everyone's going to think I'm stupid. Mm -hmm. I know that men and women both have the feelings of imposter syndrome. I know that like, you know, self-doubt is just, it's ubiquitous, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not gender related. Sure. However, my personal anecdotal experience with this has been that it's only women who hold themselves back in that way. I don't know if there's any like research or anything out there. I'm just talking about my personal Mm -hmm. experience has been, I have never had this conversation with a man Mm. where a man is saying like, I had an idea and I didn't know if it would be good or received well. And so therefore I held it back. Like I've been in so many experiences in my career where men just feel so comfortable to say whatever Mm -hmm. is on their mind, Mm -hmm. you know, not really worrying about how people are going to take it or if it's the right way approach or, you know, anything like that, any of these self-limiting thoughts that we do that, like our experiences as women were like, oh, I better be quiet unless I'm a hundred percent sure that this is the right thing, you know? And that's what I worry about Mm. with imposter syndrome. And that's one of the biggest reasons I've talked myself out of it, I think is because the more years that I've had more and more experiences at that higher level of the organizational chart, having you know, those big conversations where the big decisions are made Mm -hmm. and just seeing that men don't really hold back. They just don't, Leanna, at least not in my experience. And, you know, sometimes they don't have good ideas Mm -hmm. and sometimes what they're saying is oppositional and and counter Mm -hmm. productive to the conversation or like any of the things that we would worry about, but they don't hold themselves back. And so I worry that women are allowing this self-limiting talk to actually open the door for more and more decisions to just be made by men without our input. Yeah, I would agree. And I think as you were saying that, I was thinking about, I thought of two things that kind of, I think, contribute to that. And I've seen tons of research about the way that women are judged on their performance Mm -hmm. being very different from the way that men are. Mm -hmm. It's a very real Mm -hmm. fear. (laughs) And also I've read a lot of negotiation research and basically that, you know, women are much more afraid to negotiate and, you know, than men and and much less inclined to. And I think that that's a few different things with kind of our socialization and what we learn as we are growing up and, you know, and entering our workplaces. And one of those is, you know, we as women are are taught to Mm -hmm. kind of always put others first, that 
we're kind of responsible for the feelings of everyone around us. Mm. And so if we make someone angry or upset, we make them angry or upset, right? Like yeah. we feel like it's because of us when everybody is responsible for their own feelings. Right. <laughs> Whereas right. <laughs> I think with men, that's different. And the way that men are socialized is generally that like anger is the only emotion that's allowed to be expressed. And, mm-hmm. and also like they're only responsible for themselves. Right. That's actually what my sister and I talked a lot about with our Barbie movie debrief, that mm-hmm. kind of the way that our society is right now, it's not really benefiting men or women, right? Because it's like so extreme in both ways. Right. That shows up right. a lot because right. we are so concerned about how they're right. thinking about us, but we can never say that we care about what they think or we're vain. But really, we really care what they think about us, of course. (laughs) And so I think that's one reason why we see it. I think another reason why we see it is that we tend to have, and this is something I've seen a lot in coaching, is that we tend to have this like all or nothing thinking. So it's like an idea that we bring to the table is going to be either the most amazing idea and everybody's going to jump on it immediately and like Mm want to run with it and then just be so happy that we're on the team. Like that's one option. And the other option is that this idea is going to be terrible and everybody's going to think that we're the stupidest person in the room and what the hell are we doing there? We don't belong there. And it's kind of like (laughs) our brains only allow us those two options. Right. And I think a lot of times, yeah, there's an opportunity for like an invitation somewhere in the middle of that spectrum or somewhere along that spectrum, right? Where maybe we could right. offer an idea and it could be just okay or pretty good, but right. that's not really like an option in our minds. Yeah. That makes me think of how important it is for, I think, organizations to think about this and create structures that make people feel safe to get feedback Mm -hmm. and to fail occasionally, you know? Like if you're working in a company that doesn't have a really great, like structured performance management system, for example, and this is very common in startups. Like we're just trying to get through (laughs) to next week. Like we're not really at the point yet that we're thinking about, okay, what's going to be our robust ongoing system for feedback and improvement. But Mm -hmm. in those situations, you really leave people open to kind of sitting around wondering, am I doing well? Mm -hmm. How did everybody think about that? What does failure look like? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be safe to fail? Will I get feedback that helps me grow? Or will I get feedback that says, please pack your bags. We don't want you here anymore. Mm And that's really scary. Mm -hmm. I think that was something in my past that I did really struggle with was I would go years or months or, you know, it's period of time, just not getting any feedback at all. Mm -hmm. And then I would spin in my head. Okay. No one's saying I'm doing bad and nobody's firing me, (laughs) but also no one is saying that was good that you opened your mouth at that meeting Mm -hmm. and had that idea. Mm -hmm. Or here are some things that you're really excelling at. And we want to see more of that. It was kind of like, I felt like I was left to my own devices at times And in retrospect, again, it's all about this perspective, right? In retrospect, I'm looking back and I'm like, well, no one gave you feedback because you were doing well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they didn't feel like they needed to to sit down and say, okay, we really got to talk about this because, you know, if you weren't doing well, you would have known about it. And I didn't. So, But in the moment, in absence of more information, I totally was spinning in my head, just kind of coming up with all these things of like, 
maybe it was so bad the way I handled the situation that like no one even knows how to tell me how bad it was. Mm. Maybe that's how bad it is. And so it really is on the organization, I think, to create a culture where on the one hand, everyone has dedicated time and space to receive feedback in ways that help you grow, Mm -hmm. whether it's positive or negative. Like we forget about people who are doing well in their jobs. You can't just assume, oh, she's doing great. So we don't have to talk about her performance. Mm -hmm. Like we need to check in and affirm what's going well, but also provide room for constructive feedback because everybody can grow, right? Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, it's also about creating a culture where it's okay for everyone in the room to come up with ideas and a problem solve together and that some of them are going to land, some of them are going to work, but like, it's not about anybody personally. Right. Like there's a lot of evidence out there that organizations just run better when we have a real diversity of thought coming into the decision-making. Right. You never want to be having an echo chamber where you've just got the same people bringing the same perspectives to every problem and trying to solve them in the same ways over and over again. You want the diversity of thought. And the reality is that because it's so ubiquitous for people to struggle with these feelings of self-doubt and Mm self-worth in their roles, you have to have a culture that makes them feel safe to open their mouths. And that's another thing that you can't ignore as being on the onus of the organization and not necessarily the individual to get over it themselves, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's the responsibility of the organization to create safety. And I think safety to fail as well. Mm -hmm. We're so afraid of failure. I can think of times I did this before I was in the workforce, when I was a kid, where I was like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm just going to not say anything at all. Mm -hmm. And I was a pretty quiet kid Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be judged for saying the wrong thing or like upset anybody with what I said. But I think about where we are now with innovation We have to be Mm -hmm. trying things, failing, Mm -hmm. failing forward constantly, or we're not going to be able to keep up. Our companies are not going to be successful with the pace of innovation right now. And so it's on the companies to create the safe environment if they want to thrive so that they can encourage people to share their ideas and that they can make it okay, rewarding failure, you know, air quotes, failure, (laughs) but like a failed idea. I think the other thing, as you were talking about that, I was thinking that um, I find that a lot of women, especially equate their ideas with themselves. Mm. So it's like, if I put my idea out there and it's deemed not a good idea, then like that means that I am Mm. not good, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we have kind of this entanglement with any idea that comes from us. And so the reflection of that ends up being a reflection on our worth and our value to the organization. Yeah. And I think getting over that just comes with practice. It feels a lot like when people are in therapy for like extreme fears, like I have this fear Mm. of like spiders and like you, you do the thing where like you move the spider a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing where like the more you try out, just bringing your full self to the role, not holding yourself back, feeling confident in the places where you're like, you know what? My background and experience tells me this is an idea that's at least worth us considering. Mm-hmm. And people will take it or they won't, but I'm going to put it out there and, and we'll see what happens. The more you do that and the more you see that like what often happens 
is the gray area in the middle that Mm -hmm. you referenced earlier Mm -hmm. where like, you know, I put myself out there and it didn't land. And guess what? We all moved on with our day. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't get fired, you know, (laughs) that worst case scenario thinking. I'm so glad you brought up you as a child because I've actually been going through this with my kid too. I'm I'm really seeing now that I'm a parent, how much these thought patterns start Mm -hmm. at a very, very young age. And, you know, back to everyone having their own personality and tendencies and those really start getting baked early on. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know I was a perfectionist. Like I came out the womb, like, did I do a good enough job being born? You know? So (laughs) did you give me an A on delivery? Actually, I would have gotten a very poor grade on being born. My mother (laughs) would tell you, but at any rate, these are really long-term thought patterns, I guess is what I'm getting at. And like in our generation, it's not like we were necessarily getting therapized at a young age or like, you know, our our parents Mm -hmm. did such great jobs with the information they had, but they weren't like, let me look at these destructive thought patterns that my child might have that will hold them back later in life. And like, you know, read a bunch of self-help books and talk to their own therapist (laughs) and figure out how I can help them. But like our Mm -hmm. generation tends to do that as parents, right? And so I see my oldest son has a lot of anxiety and basically always has. And so helping him through his own anxiety and like doing the textbooks things to help him undo that thought pattern has really helped me on the other side. Right. But a lot, a thing that I say a lot with him is, are we doing worst case scenario thinking right now? Mm. Are we just kind of assuming that the worst thing that could happen is going to happen? Yes, that's what we're doing. So let's see if we can flip it. What would be the best thing that could happen? Mm. And what are some other things that could happen in between? And now that we've got that whole list of possibilities, how much control do you have over what will occur? None, but everything's going to be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And the chances of that worst case scenario thing happening compared to all the others is actually a lot smaller. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that starting to like work through that with him as a child, like maybe he'll have that tool and be better at it as he's older. Cause I'm already looking at him like, okay, you're totally going to be prone to having these same struggles that I had yeah. as I was kind of in early in my professional career and just in, with life in general. Mm-hmm. But it takes a lot of practice to look your fear in the face, say, I'm terrified that I'm going to fail and everyone's going to hate me and I'm going to lose my job and to try it anyway mm-hmm. and to see, okay, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's one example in my pocket that I need to remember yeah. for the next time I'm feeling this fear. And then you just do it enough times that mm-hmm. it doesn't feel scary anymore, but it takes time. It takes exposure for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about like physically building muscle strength, right? Like you, yeah. you have to like do continuous reps and increase your weight. Right. And it's like, literally like you're building that muscle, yeah. that muscle of being able to recognize that there's a failure possibility mm-hmm. and that you feel like it's a strong possibility and then going and doing it anyway and seeing that, yeah, that thing didn't happen. So it sounds like that's probably a contributing factor to how you have moved past imposter syndrome. Yes. That's one I think another one, it's very similar as I was saying in the beginning of our conversation Mm -hmm. about the tools that you use to get over anxiety, Mm -hmm. which is shifting your thinking as much as possible to like objective, measurable, tangible Mm. facts about what's happening as opposed to spinning out in your head about imaginary Mm -hmm. things that aren't real. 
So if I think, oh my gosh, you know, they're offering me this promotion and there's no way I can do it. And they're insane for offering it to me. Okay. That's like an idea that I have. It's, it's a thought, but how based Mm -hmm. in reality is that let's look at like, if I can put myself in their shoes and see like, what are the, the metrics I have in front of me about my own performance? Well, I've had a positive performance review every single year. Every year I get XYZ feedback that I'm doing these things great. And those Mm -hmm. things actually do align really well with what this role wants. So I don't know, maybe they've got something there. Like if you can take yourself out of it, Mm. of thinking about, I guess, too internalized, too internalized and too personalized and try and pull yourself out of the situation and just look Mm. at it objectively and take account of all the facts that are in front of you. What you're probably going to find is that the facts show everything's going fine. Mm -hmm. Unless you are getting consistently negative feedback and you are not addressing that feedback and you're not growing and you're not improving, Mm -hmm. you're not being asked, you know, to go on a performance improvement plan. Why would you think that things are going so bad Mm -hmm. that you're probably going to lose your job? It's just that you're you're entering your own imaginary yeah. ideas in where they they really have no place mm-hmm. and they're hard to let go of but focusing as much on what's going on in front of you is really really going to help. It's similar to you know if you're having a panic attack they say you should look around, you should observe the things around you. Just like name the things around you. I'm looking at the grass right now, I'm hearing the sound just to ground you in reality, get mm. you out of your headspace. It's the exact same thing yeah. for me with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Well, the word that kept coming up as you were saying that was data. So it's like looking at the data that you have on yourself rather than all of the subjective judgments (laughs) that you make about the data and judgment. Yes. mm -hmm. That's the word you are judging yourself and no one else is judging you. What a wild thing to do to yourself, (laughs) right? (laughs) That we all do. (laughs) So I read this article it was an interesting article, kind of strange, but it talked about um, like why we all punish our Barbies, like why that was such a common, why that's such a common thing for um, kids who were playing with Barbies to punish them. And they said, it turns out that Barbie was just the first name I gave to the lifelong project of punishing myself with the imagined perfection of others. Ooh. And the reason I thought of that quote is because we kind of like have judgments of ourselves that are so negative. And then we look outward and we have judgments of others that are so positive, right? Like we just assume that everybody else's lives are perfect and that everybody else is sitting there judging us for like what we believe that like for what we see about ourselves. But meanwhile, (laughs) if we look at the data, most likely what's happening is exactly the opposite. They're sitting there judging mm-hmm. themselves negatively, just like we are. Exactly. And they're looking at us thinking, oh my gosh, they're so perfect. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We're all, what a totally dysfunctional <laughs> We're all doing society it. <laughs> we've come up with. Yes, yes, yes. That is the reality. No, everyone's worried about themselves. They're not worried about you. One other thing that really worries me about imposter syndrome with women specifically, I'm trying so hard not to generalize here because gender is a spectrum and I don't want to paint with broad strokes. Like a lot of what I'm saying about my observations of gender are very based in my experience. But my concern about women with imposter syndrome is that 
we know that everyone experiences it, but I've, I personally have never heard a man talk about it. Mm. I know you have, mm. cause you work in coaching. Right. And so that's kind of like that safe space where people can mm-hmm. be open and say, this is what I'm struggling with. But like in everyday life, I just have personally never heard a man say they have it. Mm-hmm. What I worry about is that women are so afraid of seeming like egotistical bitches who are too ambitious and too aggressive and like too much trying to claw their way up the org chart, all of those Mm -hmm. things that even in moments where we feel, you know what? I totally deserved that. This was the opportunity I wanted for myself. I worked really hard to get it. I manifested Mm -hmm. this and it came true. Good for me. We're so afraid of just saying that, that even when we feel that way, we feel like every success we have, we have to kind of like put an asterisk mm-hmm. at the end and make it seem like, oh, I don't even know why I got it. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, little old me. <laughs> I'm so undeserving. And it's like not how you really feel, but you feel like you have to yeah. say it. Like you got to temper your own successes with some idea that like it wasn't what you deserved. And that freaks me out way more than all of the times that you know, you really are feeling that deep sense of like, oh my God, I don't, I don't know if I deserve that. Like there's a ton of that that is based in reality. And then there's times where we kind of toss the phrase around Mm -hmm. because we want to seem humble. And I do not like that. I worry about that. And I'm saying I've had the tendency to do that myself. Like as I've got older and gotten, you know, further along in my career and I get you know, an opportunity, a new job, a promotion. I I might feel like a sense of like, I don't want people to like judge me for getting this. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to be like, well, it was such a surprise. And, you know, I I can't believe that they're, they're letting me do this. Mm -hmm. I have to hold myself back and say, you know what? That's actually not helpful to any of us to be saying stuff like that. It doesn't help all the women who are really, really struggling with their own sense of confidence and imposter syndrome to toss it around when it's irrelevant. Yeah. So that's another thing. Once I made that realization, I was like, ooh, I need to really check myself. Like, Mm -hmm. especially now, like I'm a vice president, like by all accounts, going back to what you were saying earlier about like people tend to judge other people and say, oh, they've got it all figured out and everything's good. I am positive that I'm that person for somebody. I know I am because when I was early mm-hmm. in my career, I can think of a few people like, honestly, you and Anamique were like those people for me, you know, like, oh, they got it all figured out. Look at them, like they're vice presidents, right? So I worry about the responsibility that I have mm-hmm. to project to other women, like, actually, I worked hard for something and I know that I'm good at this. and. I deserve to be in this role and I'm really not going to feel bad about it. Yeah. And not to bring up Barbie movie, but that's what I was thinking of when <laughs> I too. saw it the other night, that moment <laughs> where someone got the Nobel prize or whatever. And they're like, I worked really hard and deserve this. I'm like, yes, yes, queen. Mm-hmm. Actually, yes. That's mm-hmm. how we should be talking about it. Yeah. Unless we really are feeling that sense of self doubt, yeah. you know, which, which is also real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with our socialization and the mm-hmm. expectation that women are humble. Mm-hmm. We tend to, in the negotiation research, it actually shows that women who like 
push harder and negotiate harder for themselves are viewed more negatively. Whereas men who push harder for themselves are more respected. Mm -hmm. So you're doing the exact same thing and you get a totally different result. I think about just the day-to-day things because, you know, that happens a lot more often than like getting a promotion or the Nobel prize, but the day-to-day, just a compliment that whenever someone says, uh, even just like a physical compliment, your hair looks great. What, what is our natural reaction? First, I know like there's often a feeling of discomfort, uh-huh. right? And then like, I have to say something to like downplay it almost, yeah. right? Like the most logical answer is just like, thank you. Like someone noticed something nice <laughs> and said, right? But like, we have all this like internal stuff going on. And a lot of times it could be like, I mean, even with our hair, like, oh yeah, I'm having a really good hair day, right? Like we're going to chalk it up to chance. We're going to like, right. Right. right, we've got to kind of downplay <laughs> it in a way. But like, it would be not viewed very favorably if we said, yeah, I was born with great hair, (laughs) right? Or like something, something that's like, yeah, I recognize that too about myself. And here's why, right? That's just- I know I am. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It sounded so weird in the Barbie movie every time someone did that, you know? And it did make me think back of like, oh, why does that sound so weird when, you know, someone gives a compliment and they're just like, yes, I know. Like, Ooh, don't mm-hmm. say that. Right. But why? But why? What's the benefit of being great if you don't know it yourself? If only other people right. can see it. Right. Yeah. So, so I mean, when you, if it goes into the workplace and you get a promotion and someone says, congratulations, right? Like you start to have stuff going on and, and you're like, oh yeah. Like, right. Like you, you want to say like, I'm so glad they gave this to me or like, right, I'm so excited right. to have this opportunity or, or something about luck maybe. Right. But we aren't going to say, I worked my ass off and I deserved it, right? right? Because like, that's just not acceptable. But that is true. We could just be able to speak the truth. And actually, that would be the more helpful thing for someone to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're probably thinking when they're congratulating you, God, how do I get something like that? Or like, I really want to be in that position. They need to hear, I worked really hard and I developed this skill and I went through XYZ things so that I could demonstrate that I can handle this type of situation. Like that's a path someone can walk down Mm -hmm. versus, oh, the universe handed me something that I didn't deserve. Like what is anyone supposed to do with that? That doesn't help anybody. And I definitely did not get that perspective until really recently, like Mm -hmm. in the past few years. But it was like a switch that flipped in my head where I was like, oh God, actually I can be very damaging, particularly to other women in their careers and their own self-development if I act like I don't think I know what I'm doing Mm. because I've had enough experience of like the practice of looking at, you know, all the things I've talked about already. I look at the data. I ask for feedback regularly. I think that's important too, Mm. right? You might not be in a situation where people are giving you feedback all the time, but I think I've recognized enough about myself. Like I really do start to spiral if I don't know if things are going well. Mm. And so if I haven't gotten a quick hey, by the way, you're doing really great with this recently. Like, I will just ask people, like, how is it going? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, that takes some bravery in itself. Because if you think about when you were a younger professional, you said you would kind of spiral whenever you weren't getting feedback. And you could have done that then, right? Right. Like you could have asked at any point. Yeah. But like earlier in our careers, I mean, it, it does take a little bit of 
confidence because I think we create this like, oh, well, they're not saying anything. Like maybe they don't know, notice that I'm not qualified. Uh, like me, right. And so it's kind of like, right. if I bring it up, then I'm going to invite them to think about it. And then what if they realize, like, what if they realize that actually I'm not doing a great job? Right. Right. Or is it going to open up a can of worms of like feedback that I'm not ready to receive? That's really the mm-hmm. risk, right? It, it never feels good to, you know, go about your life like to do to do everything's fine and then like be hit with like oh actually this is how this way you're working or acting or producing whatever it might be is being perceived right. and here's how it could be improved like ooh like that doesn't feel good nobody wants to sign mm-hmm. up for that but mm-hmm. not having it voiced not having it like a concrete thing that's like out there now just opens up room for you to catastrophize in your head. Yeah. That's been my experience, right? Yeah. Well, no, I think it's like, if it's not stated, like you've already thought it because you've already <laughs> thought oh, yes. all of the worst possible things about yourself, right? Right. So moving through imposter syndrome, I heard you say exposure and kind of building the muscles. I heard you talking about shifting your thinking, focusing on the objective mm-hmm. data, asking for feedback regularly. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Any other advice or takeaways that you have that would help folks with this imposter syndrome? I think the biggest thing I would say if you are dealing with imposter syndrome that you need to do is you need to get out of your own head and have conversations. So Mm. the worst thing you could do is just sit and spin your wheels and catastrophize because An anxious brain left to its own devices can come up with a lot of different terrible scenarios and it's really self-perpetuating. But as soon as you can sit down Mm -hmm. with a trusted friend, family member, mentor, roommate, partner, person on the street, therapist, like any that you can say, hey, these are the feelings that I'm having and I need to help you help me. I am wondering how based in reality these fears are. Can you reflect back to me? Like, what are the things that you see that might counteract the ideas I have in my head? I think it's really important to open up and have conversations with other people, but also like direct them in the place that you need Mm. them to go because getting to that data and getting someone to kind of like put the mirror up and say, actually, this is what's really happening. Do you think it could be equally possible that you totally deserve this and you worked really hard and you're going to do great at it? That is the kind of thing that you need to counteract what you're going through. Mm -hmm. So kind of like opening up the conversation, but also directing it into a, a direction that is going to be the most constructive for you, I think is the best thing that you can do. Yeah. Because what's not going to happen is you're not going to sit down with that trusted person and they're going to say, wow, I totally get why you feel that way. You suck. (laughs) My experience with you has been that you're pretty bad at your job and you probably didn't deserve this. Like that is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's really going to help you to kind of like hear that totally opposite perspective thrown back at you as an equally valid version of reality that you can rely on. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would also, I mean, even just saying it out loud, mm-hmm. a lot of times when someone walks me through and I'll, a question I often ask is like, what's the worst case scenario here that you've come up with? And saying it out loud, you find them start saying like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of far-fetched. Okay. That's not <laughs> actually going to happen. It's just, I mean, even if you just like 
talk to the wall. <laughs> you just like say it out loud. It's uh-huh. or, or write it down if you're, right. you know, if you like to write. I think that's a really great way to write it down and then read it back and then kind of start to question your brain like, hey, brain, mm-hmm. like, I know you came up with that. It seems quite unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> like, that that's going to happen. Yep. And then the other button is just to give yourself as much kindness and grace as you would give anybody else. Mm. We're nastier to ourselves than we are to other people sometimes. And so picture the situation reversed where you've got a colleague or a friend who's saying, I'm really worried that I'm not good enough. You would respond with such love and kindness to them. Mm. And you should respond the same way to yourself. That's my other piece of advice. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a fun conversation and I think it's going to be very helpful for a lot of people listening. So thank you for sharing your experiences, Emily Rose, and thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Liana. All right. Thanks everyone. Hope everyone has a great week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Executive Coach for Moms podcast. Please like, subscribe, or follow the show so you'll be notified when the next episode is available. I hope you'll join me again next time. Take care.